All right. Um, before we get started, so you're like, who's this guy? Right. Um, so my name's Dan. I'm an elder here. Uh, we are an elder-led church. And from time to time, you may see one of us, one of the, the alternates come up here and, and bring a message. Uh, it's important for Matthew to have a break sometimes and be able to sit down and listen um, and sometimes hear hard truth uh, that maybe God has to speak to him. Um, it's the same for all of us. So uh, bear with me. I'm a, dis- I'm a distant backup, but um, you know, we're going to trust God because that's, that's what the gospel's for. Uh, that's what we're going to need this morning. Um, so if you have a Bible, let's turn to Exodus uh, 25. So just so you guys know, uh, Matthew, I, I, I sort of think of him as a, a New Testament guy. Um, and I'm definitely more of an Old Testament guy. Um, so I've told several of you this in the past when I've spoken, but uh, I always look at the, old, the New Testament as how the gospel, and I always look at the Old Testament as why the gospel. Um, so we're going to, I'm going to give you a little bit of background before we read. Before we read. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of history, for those of you who don't know the, the distant history. Um, about, so where we're going to pick up, it's about 500 years past when Abraham was given the, the, um, the covenant of, hey, look, you, you're, all the world's going to be blessed through your descendants. Uh, so this is where we're going to pick up. is about 500 years past that. So since then, um, he was given that promise. The, he's had a child named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had a son named Joseph. Joseph turned, becomes a slave, gets sold into slavery, goes to Egypt, starts this massive group of Israelites um, because he's blessed. And then the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. And that happens for about 400 years. So in Exodus, um, I'll read you through really quickly what the chapters uh, lead through. So chapters 1 through 12 is all about uh, the Israelites are enslaved and how God frees them from that through all the plagues. Those are all the stories we've heard as kids growing up. A lot of the kids are like, oh, the plagues are really, really cool. Um, you know, look at God sent all these flies and he, you know, all these things and he kills the firstborn of Pharaoh and he frees them um, using the plagues. The plagues. Uh, then chapter 13, 14 is all about God guiding his people uh, through the desert um, and caring for them, providing them food and water. Um, and then chapter 15 and 16 pick up, um, and he, again, cares for his people, and he leads them to Mount Sinai. Um, and then what happens at Sinai? That's right. Yeah, so Moses is called up to the mountain, and he's given two sets of laws, really. The most important one is the Ten Commandments. That is what we as Christians call the moral law. That is what we are, everything is based upon. Every right or wrong thing that's embedded, that's written on our hearts, when God says the law is written on our hearts, it's the moral law. Um, And he's also given civil laws. So civil laws meaning things, how to govern the people. Um, But today we're going to focus a lot on those moral laws. And then chapter 25 is where we're really going to read. So 25 is he starts to have the people build the tabernacle. Um, I love this, this stuff around the tabernacle. Like, that's, that's my thing um, because there's so much symbolism in it. And it's really easy to, to read through Exodus and be like, oh, gosh, here's a, he makes this tool, he makes this tent, he makes this. But I want, I'm going to focus in on one of them that's really, really cool when you see what it, uh, what it means 
Um, they all have symbolism, but we're going to focus on one specifically. So talking about the temple a little bit um, and the tabernacle. So the tabernacle uh, that he has them build is about 45 feet long by 15 feet wide. So I was thinking about it before service. It's really close to the length of this room, the width of this room. So picture a room about as wide as this room, about 15 feet wide, uh, 15 feet high. Um, and then at the end is a, a 15 foot cube that they call the Holy of Holies. So that's, and I was looking at it before service, that's about seven to eight chairs wide, about three rows deep, depending on which row you're in, the ones in the back or up front. But I want you to picture that. It's a very small area, 15 foot cube. Um, and that's called the Holy of Holies. Um, and then between, if you were to try to walk into the Holy of Holies, in front of you would be a veil, 15 feet wide, 15 feet high, 15 feet high, wide, yeah. Um, so, and then inside the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so we're going to pick up, I'm going to read 25, verse 10 through 22. And you're going to think it's really boring, but I want you to grasp this thing and how it's made. All right, so chapter 25, verse 10. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half in its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside you shall overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. There you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you should put the poles and the rings on each of, on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it, and you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and half shall be its length, and a cubit and half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubims of gold. The hammered work you shall make them, and on two ends and on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other. One of one piece with the mercy seat you shall make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread it out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces, their faces to one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, there on the ark of the, ark of the testimony, I will speak to, with you about all that I will give you in the commandment for the people of Israel. Uh, let's play, pray real quick before we go on. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Um, I thank you that it feels like every time I read it, Father God, you speak something else through it. Um, it's always living, um, and you always have more to reveal about yourself through it. So I pray that um, you would do that again today uh, to these people. Uh, it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so the Ark of the Covenant. All right, so I'm going to recap some things. So when you picture this thing, all right, it's three, almost three foot long, okay? And two, about two and a half feet wide and two and a half feet high, okay? Four feet long, two and a half feet high, two feet, two and a half feet wide. So it's right here. You can picture it, right? All right, 
really small when you really consider it. Um, so inside the bottom of the ark, inside that box, were three things. There was the Aaron's staff, there was a pot of gold of manna, and they put the tablets, the, the moral code, the moral law, the Ten Commandments inside of that. Um, so in the box, the key thing is the, the, the Ten Commandments. That's what we're talking about. So they had uh, two pole, they had poles on this thing. The reason they had poles is because you didn't touch the ark. Uh, later on in the Old Testament, somebody, oh, somebody almost drops it and it touches them and it kills them. Um, you're like, well, that's kind of dumb. Um, I want you to realize as we read, as we're looking at this thing, it's representing how holy God really is. You, talk, you, you look at the ark and um, it says everything's gold, overlaid with gold. It's solid gold. It's, this is gold. That's gold. It's representing how holy God is. God doesn't need gold, okay? God, the, the gold doesn't make this holy. It's representing how holy God really is. Um, so you got this box, right? And then it talks about the mercy seat. Uh, the mercy seat is right on top of it. And the original Hebrew word, um, caprit, is, literally means atonement. So when you look at this thing, it's, it's, literally, it's literally translated as the atonement cover. Right? So you got the law inside, the Ten Commandments, which reveals our sinful nature which tells us, man, we have a, a long way to go to ever be righteous based on our own works. Then on top, you have this thing called the atonement cover, the mercy seat. Um, and then on top of the mercy seat, there were two cherubim. Um, cherubim were a type of angel uh, traditionally guarding the most holy of places. Okay, When you see cherubim, they're guarding something so holy. Um, and then it talks about the cherubim. And what would happen is, as the Israelites were being led through the desert, God, you know, pillar of fire, cloud of smoke, and God would come into, the, his presence would be in the Holy of Holies above, above the ark, right, above the law, above the mercy seat, and in between and above the cherubim. So you picture the presence of God is here in this 15-foot cube above this box, and I want you to realize the, the, the gravity of what's going on here. Since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve, the fall in the garden, man and God were separated. This is the closest in proximity God was dwelling with his people since that happened thousands of years prior. Or it depends on your, what you think, but creation is whatever. Since the fall, this is the closest time, closest point that God has been with his people since the, since the fall. Um, so let's talk about what this ark would be used for. Um, so I'm going to read out of Leviticus 16. I'll skip around a little bit, um, but I'm going to read verse 1 through 3, and then we'll skip down to 11 through 16. Um, so everything in the tabernacle, again, we're focusing just on the ark, but everything in the tabernacle had a purpose, had a use, but we're just going to focus on the, the, uh, the ark at this point. So chapter 16 of Leviticus, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll skip to 11. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. 
continue down to 11 through 16. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord and that, and that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Then he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And, he shall, and so he shall do for the rest of the tent of meaning, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. So God is telling, Aaron, telling Moses exactly how to go through this. When you think about this little room, right? They, the priests would come in, what he described was, I mean, you got to come in and you, you got to bring coals with you. Be, be perfect. You got to bring coals so you can't see the presence of God. So you can't see the holy place. Literally blind. So he, so he doesn't see God and, and die. So me personally, don't put me in that room. All right. Uh, they would actually attach bells to the priest's garments. So when the priest would walk in, they'd be listening for bells because if the bells stop, we got a dead priest. So that is how holy this place is. So he would, so part of the, this would be the, the day of atonement. Okay. Day of atonement. Um, if you guys are familiar with Yom Kippur, the, the Jewish holiday, that is the annual day of atonement. It's when the priest would go in every year and do this. And he would take blood First, he would take the blood of animal and for himself consecrate and atone for his own sins. And he would take blood and on his fingers and he would drip it seven times on the altar for himself. And then like we just read, he'd go and take, that same, take another animal and blood for the, the uh, sins of the people to atone for their sins. So again, he did that for the bull, for himself and the goat, the goat for the people. So I, I want you to consider that, I want you to realize the symbolism on this. This is where, when I read this and I realized, I was like, that is absolutely amazing. Okay, this is a picture of what the gospel looks like, what, why the gospel exists. So you have the law, right, in this box that reveals to us our sinful nature. And above the law, in between it and God, is the mercy seat where the blood is being placed on the, on the mercy seat, on the front of the mercy seat. It's the only thing that's separate, that's keeping God and showing our sins. It's, it's blocking that. That's what that blood was being used for. And I want you to realize something. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says, okay, I've got that done. Somebody go clean up the, the Ark of the Covenant. It's got to be gold, right? Um, Carrie, she's in here somewhere. But could you imagine, like, I just picture my house. If, if someone was like, hey, we got to turn for our sins, and we'd go drop blood in the house on a, all across the altar, and we're going to leave it there. All right. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Um, but I want you to realize something. This beautiful, gorgeous, what's representing perfection, how holy God is, sprinkled with the blood of an animal. 
and they don't clean it up. And every year, blood of another animal. And every year, blood of another animal. And every year, blood of another animal. Or sins to cover another blood. So just in a few years, can you imagine what the mercy seat would look like? Can you imagine the stench it would have of old blood combined with new blood over year and year and year? Um, it's, it's showing us the, the purity of how holy God is in our filth, right? The filth that we bring into it because of the law, but that blood is necessary, is necessary for God to be and dwell with his people. The perfection of God and the filth of mankind cannot coexist, okay? I told you before, hey, look, if you drop the ark and someone touches it, like happens later in the, in the scriptures, and he dies. The filth of man and the perfection of God cannot coexist. That's why, don't look at him. That's why, hey, walk in, put a bells on his, because as soon as there's that contact, as soon as that something is unclean that is in the presence of God, it's dead. Again, don't put me in that room. So the God, God's intent of all this, right? Um, realize that God's like, I want you to do this. And he wants it so he could dwell with his people. He's like, I know I got all these rules and regulations. I know we got this. I know you're gonna have to put the blood on here. He's like, but I've got to be, I, I want to be with my people. Because since the beginning of time, when I got separated from you by sin, he's like, I'm dwell, I want to dwell among you. So that was the intent of this. So what's cool is you get to you start to see Jesus here. Realize this took place. This was about 1450 BC. So literally 1500 years before Jesus existed. You can, you can see what's going on here. The blood of the animal on the mercy seat to allow God to be with his people. Um, this is where the priests in the past would offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, after sin, after sin, after sin, sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice, sin, sacrifice. Um, and that's why the gospel um, exists. When Jesus was on the cross and he breathed his last, about to breathe his last breath and he says, it is finished. That was it. There was no more sin and sacrifice and sin and sacrifice because the sacrifice was an imperfect sacrifice. So when Jesus comes in and he says, it is finished, he's like, all that stuff, all that blood, is, he's like, mine doesn't need to be reapplied every single time. You don't have to go figure out, hey, look, I'm sinning. Hey, I've got to go do this. I'm going to go do this ritual. I'm going to go cleanse myself. Jesus is like, all it's going to take is you're going to have to re-cleanse yourself again. You're going to need more blood. You're going to need more blood, more sacrifice, so that God can dwell with you. This is going faster than I planned it going, but it's good. That's okay. Um, so when Jesus died, right, veil's torn. Everybody knows, a lot of people know what that means, but I want you to get the significance, okay? When the veil was torn, you got this 15 by 15 holy of holies, right? At this point, it's in a, in a bigger temple, right? But you have the same premise, you got a veil and you have this holy of holies in there. And when that ark is, or when that veil is torn, uh-oh, hold on, wait. So you could picture the, the Pharisees, you could picture the Jewish minds. 
The veil's torn. We're going to die. The, the presence of God goes in there. Like, what, what do we do? Everybody put bells on your, hand, on your robes, right? Um, no. He said it's finished. So what happens when the veil is torn? Where does God reside? You remember what Jesus said? He's like, I must go so the counselor can come. It wasn't just to say, hey, look, so I can make sure that you guys know if you're right or wrong. I want to make sure that you guys hear in your head every single day that you're doing the right thing, that you're doing the wrong thing. It's, that's not what it's about. Because when the veil was torn and God's presence was no more there, no longer there, the counselor comes and he's in us. The very presence of God that was in that room, that was hovering above the mercy seat, that's hovering above the ark, that very presence is no longer there. So where does he go? He's in us. So I want you to realize something that God's no longer, he's not in a temple. He's not in a place. He's not in a church. He's not um, in a holy of holies. He's not, he's not sitting above between two cherubim, guarding him from the uncleanliness of man above a mercy seat where there's got to be tablets with the Ten Commandments written on it. He's not in that place anymore. He's in us. So you think of like, many teachers day, you, you got to go to somewhere holy. It's no different. You can go there. You can go to the whole, where you think the holiest place is. You know where the holiest place is? It's in you. It's in me. So when he says he wants to send counsel, the counselor to you, sure, it's to counsel you. It's to tell you, to, to turn your hearts, to sanctify us. But what it is, what was God's intent of building the tabernacle? It's to dwell with his people. Now, since the beginning of time, when man sinned and God was separated from us, he worked towards this place now in this tabernacle where he comes to all his people. And now, now that he sent Jesus and, and Jesus died for you and I, and he said, now I could send the counselor. Now I don't dwell around you. You don't have to come into some room and, and make sure you all the, do all these sacrifices and sprinkle blood. on. He's like, I'm in you. I make you holy. I'll say it again. God makes you holy. The holiness is not built on a room. It's not built on a temple. It's not built on some ark. Not built around some cherubim. Holiness is where God's at. So realize that when, he, when you accept Jesus for who he is, that he is the perfect sacrifice, that he is actually God, when you've accepted that, you've accepted that Jesus is that blood and it's done. So now the counselor, God himself, comes to dwell within you. And now you are holy. And you're thinking, how can that be? How can I be holy when I do all these bad things? The presence of God is what makes things holy. All you have to do is realize that blood, that blood that is no longer drizzled on an altar, that blood is what makes you holy. So I'm going to pray. Um,
want to ask you guys something. Um, you guys come up. Come. Maybe you're in the place where you think um, you have to do something more for, for, God, for God's forgiveness. I've been there. Okay. Maybe you can think of something you did this week. You're like, I can't believe God. I got to figure out what I got to do to make God forgive me. Maybe um, compared to this, maybe that thing, that, that's your mercy seat. Maybe you're like, hey, look, I got this thing and I've, I've messed it up and God's not going to be able to forgive me. I've got to go sprinkle blood on my mercy seat. Mercy don't exist anymore. That's not where God's at. You're constantly trying to fix yourself, try, constantly trying to fix, fix others, trying to sprinkle blood on your altar, trying to sprinkle blood on their altar because that priest comes in. He's like, I'm going to make sure I take care of my sins, make sure I time for the sins of, uh, of the people. It's not where God's at anymore. Jesus is the answer. All you got to do is realize that he is God. And, and, and the why of the gospel is that we can't, and he's the only one who can. So I'm going to let them play this song. Um, if you need him, if you need Jesus to be your answer, okay, um, there's going to be a couple people down here praying, and I'll pray for you, okay? You may not even know what that means for Jesus to be the answer, Okay, all that means is that I'm messed up. I need some. I need some blood across my altar, and Jesus is the perfect blood for that. That's it, because Jesus is God. So if, if that's you, I encourage you to come down and let me pray for you. I'll pray for you. Um, maybe you have other needs. Uh, I encourage you to come down and let me pray for you for that too. Maybe you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have other things that you're struggling trying to let go because you think that you, you still own it. You don't. You don't. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you guys. Um, Kathy will be down here, I think. I'll, I'll be over here. If that's you, come. So, Lord, Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your perfection. Uh, regardless of our filth, regardless of our desire and our, our inhibition to want to take care of it ourselves. Um, Lord, with the right heart, we approach that, but we need to realize with the knowledge that you are the final answer. You are the perfect answer. You are the blood that was spilled um, that took care of all of that. And we no longer need an ark. We don't longer need someone to sprinkle blood, blood on something. We don't need to go to a place to find you. We don't need to go into some holy of holies. We don't need to go to a, find a building or find a person. It's, it's just you. And the why of the gospel is your pursuit of us because you love us. We love you so much. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you.